remain standing for the reading of the word. I mean, let's stand. There is a bomb in Gilead. And that bomb is right here in Chattanooga, too. Only bomb I know that's transcontinental, transgenerational, trans, transcentorian. It's a bomb that keeps on giving and keeps on healing generation, century after century. That bomb in Gilead is Jesus. And he's here. He's present. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. Ah, Lord, we praise you. We praise you for you are worthy. You are glorious. You are good. Whom have we in heaven but you? On earth, our hearts de desire nothing besides you. You are our treasure. You are our joy. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. You deserve the honor and the glory. You're worthy of our life. You're worthy of our suffering. You're worthy even of our death because you are worthy. And we know we have eternal life. We fear not because you said fear not. We trust in you. Give us grace. Give us grace. Oh, may we be instruments of grace, justice, and mercy. May we share the good news. May we live the good news. Oh, may people know that you are real. When they see that we love one another, that we're committed to one another, that we stand with one another. Oh, God, may people see it and be amazed. Be amazed that you could call together a people like us a ragtag group of people from all cultures and lands and tongues and nations. Oh Lord, even here in Chattanooga, may they be amazed at the love of God they see among us in this church and other like-minded churches. Oh God, oh, bear witness to Jesus. Do your holy work among us, but bear witness to Jesus. Bless your people, bless your sheep. We prone to wander, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love, but thank you that you're the great shepherd of the sheep, Lord Jesus, and you will not let us wander too far. Oh, Lord, have mercy. Have mercy. Hear our cry, oh, Lord. Bless your word now. May it go forth with your power and accomplish all that you will. Do your holy work in us. Do that surgery with the scalpel of your sword. Do that work in our hearts now so that we might be the people of God, that we might grow in grace and in knowledge of the Lord Jesus, oh God. Do your holy work now through your word, through the sword of the Spirit. Use this unworthy servant. Who is he that you should use him to proclaim Jesus? Oh God, we deserve nothing but you give us everything. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Father, we ask these blessings in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.
Amen. A passage comes from two places today in general. Of course, Ephesians 6 and then Matthew 4. Hear now the word of God. Samplings from chapter 6 of Ephesians. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, it is written, man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. Said to him, if, if. You are the son of God. Throw yourself down, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, again it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Amen. That's right. Then the devil left him <laughs> and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. That is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. And once again, thank you, praise team. Wow. Thank you for leading us in worship. Thank you for the wonderful videos and testimonies. Thank you, Jason and Nisha. Thank you, Jason, for your leadership of the committee, this Black History Month committee. We've been blessed so much this, this, this month. May God continue that blessing as we continue to go, out, go throughout the rest of this year. You know, it's interesting that in the early 20th century, when a lot of theologians in evangelical churches in this country were losing their confidence in the Bible as the inerrant and inspired word of God, the black church did not. When the, when the, the fundamentals, what they were called, were spoke about, the 
evangelical church was talking about the fundamentals of the faith, things like the inerrancy of Scripture, which was, which was the heading, the big fundamental. Now, we're not talking about fundamentalism here. We're talking about what some theologians felt were the fundamentals of the faith. And they were saying, these are the non-negotiables. If we, if we lose this, we lose everything. Things like, and the head of that was the inerrancy of Scripture. Things like the virgin birth, things like the resurrection, things like the second coming of Christ bodily. Those were the fundamentals that people were saying we must hold on to. But sadly, the evangelical church, which was largely white, still did not put down racism. They were holding to the fundamentals of the faith, but yet they were holding on to white supremacy, which in my mind denied the fundamentals of the faith in many ways, sadly. But it was the, and, and, and sadly, they believed that black people were, un, were not intelligent enough to stand against this tide that was sweeping through our country, coming out of Germany, actually, German schools of theology there. And they, they felt we were too stupid, that we couldn't, I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Some of these men felt that we just lacked the intelligence to stand. And so they were really trying to teach us. What they failed to realize was that we were just as smart as they were. And so in the AME Zion Church, there was already black theologians writing out the same doctrines, the same, it, doing the same work, using some of the same language that our white brothers were using to stand against this tide that was sweeping across our seminaries and into many of our churches. The mainline churches fell for it. And so confidence in the Bible began to fall in many places. Confident in the Bible, but confidence in the Bible has always been the hallmark of the African-American church in this country, always been. Isn't it interesting that when you, when you think about one of the great leaders of, the, um, of that wonderful Underground Railroad, Harriet Tubman, what was she nicknamed? Moses. Because they saw in her what they saw in the Moses of the Bible leading his people to freedom. It's because they believed the Bible. That was no fable. They didn't, they didn't want to put the hope in a fable. They believed and knew that the Bible was the word of God. It was the history of God's dealing with humanity. And they, put, and, they, and they saw in Harriet Tubman a smaller version of that Moses. All throughout slavery, even into Jim Crow, the confidence in the Bible is what gave many African-American churches the ability to preach a message that not only was theologically sound, but it was socially practical. They preached God is great and God is sovereign and Jesus is Lord and, and we love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And there is freedom in Christ. It was that church that continued to hold fast, though they were thought to be inferior intellectually, culturally, and religiously, and even educationally by some, yet they held firm to the truth of the gospel.
It always grieves me when I think about, even in my own denomination, I wonder, I look at my, my brothers, I've been an ordained minister since, oh, when was that year? <laughs> 1998. Been a member of this denomination since 1990, my wife and I. I've gone to many general assemblies. Love my brothers and sisters. Love the PCA. I really do. I love this denomination. But it always grieves my heart that I think some of them look at me and brothers like me and think that somehow we're inferior. It grieves my heart when, I, when, I, when my brothers are more concerned about arguing and defeating critical race theory, CRT, than we are about the unloving legacy of racism and racial indifference that exists in some of our churches. I was warned even by another black pastor years ago before I came here that I shouldn't come here. A man who mentored me, whose word meant something to me. And he said, Kevin, you shouldn't go. Because he said, those white folk are going to either torture you until you leave or just leave before you get there. All that stuff breaks my heart. When my wife and I, my family, we were, visit, we were having a, we went to a wedding in Charlottesville. This was, this was after the, the, you know, the, the riot that took place there and the people were killed. They were, actually, they weren't, it, was, it wasn't a riot at first. It became one after the guy drove into the crowd and ran folk over. But the protest, after the protest took place, we were in Charlottesville. We were walking in a parking lot. In a, in a, we got out of a car, walked in a parking lot, and this white man almost ran us over and never stopped. I mean, I'm, I'm serious. I had to, we stopped. I had to stop my family. Just went by. And I had to, and here's the here's thing, here's what I hate. He might not have ever actually seen us. But because of what happened in Charlottesville just before that, I had to wonder, did he not care about our lives? Because we were black. How do I give him the benefit of the doubt when I recognize what exists in our country still? It breaks my heart. And I want to lash out. I want to, I, when that kind of thing happens, man, I wanted to find a brick. I wanted to go after that guy. I wanted to lash out. And when, when, when I believe that someone is looking at me and treating me like I'm an idiot because they're white and I'm black, I want to lash out. I want, I want to. But then the Lord reminds me of something. He takes me to places like this. Romans 12, 19 and 21, beloved, never avenge yourselves. Believe it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feeding. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap coals, burning coals on his head. And then here's that last word. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. What is that? What is that? That's spiritual warfare. That's the sword of the spirit rising up to defeat evil in my own heart. Because of injustice, evil injustice coming towards me. It's time, family, to pick up the sword of the spirit. It's time for you, each one of you,
each one of you who knows the name of Jesus, to pick up the sword of the Spirit and do battle God's way. Fight whatever we're fighting God's way with God's weapons and for the glory of Jesus. Not for the glory of my ethnic group. Not for the glory of America. But for the glory of Jesus. It's time to do battle. God's way with God's weapons. And for that, we must turn now to the master swordsman. The Lord Jesus is the master swordsman who wields his sword with precision. I wonder if Paul was thinking about him in Ephesians 6 when he said, and pick up the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. In Matthew 4, that's where we find ourselves. In Matthew 4, it's also the same in Luke chapter 4, by the way, well, if you want to look, if you keep that in mind. But I'm in Matthew. Here he shows us how to use the sword of the Spirit against personal attacks from the evil one. We just read it. Our Lord Jesus has just been baptized by John the Baptist. The Spirit, this is in chapter 3, the Spirit of God has descended upon him like a dove. The, the, the Isaiah says he gives the Messiah the Spirit without measure. The Spirit of the Lord has fallen upon him. The Father spoke as Christ was being baptized by his cousin John the Baptist. The, the voice from heaven came, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The Trinity is revealed at the baptism of Jesus. The Son is in the water. The Spirit is descending upon him and the Father speaks from glory. He is literally being affirmed. The Lord Jesus is being affirmed by the other two members of the Trinity. And then the Bible says in chapter 4, verse 1, that he is then led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for the express purpose of being tempted by the devil. So the first thing we notice in our passage is this. This battle was orchestrated by God the Holy Spirit. This spiritual battle was God's doing. Jesus was being led into temptation for us so that he could tell us to pray, lead me not into temptation, but deliver me from the evil one. We get to pray that prayer because Jesus was led into temptation. Here in the wilderness, he is the second Adam who will pass or fail for a new humanity. Here in the wilderness, he is the new Israel who will either be true to God and go into the promised land or like ancient Israel, he will worship the golden calf. They spent 40 years, he spends 40 days hungering and thirsting. He's been fasting and praying for a month. His body is weak, truly weak. 
He's weak because he's fully human. It is a true, it is as a true human being that the Son of God fights this battle here. You must understand that. He fights as one of us. So he sympathizes with you in your suffering, like Hebrews says. He understands what it means to be tempted. So you and I can know we can stand like him. He's more than an example, but he's not less than an example. We know, we see him standing as one of us. Like John said, the word is truly flesh. Three times the enemy confronts him with ways of meeting his needs and desires without God. That's a word for all of us. Meeting our needs and desires without God. That's how the enemy loves to come against you. He does it here with the Lord Jesus. As Phil Riken puts it, temptations are, his temptations are related to three things, provision, power, and protection. This is why temptations are so real. The enemy holds up what you want, what you desire, and says, he says to you every day, you can have it my way. You think it's your way. He's really saying, you can have it my way. And Jesus did not resist the devil with pop psychology or the wisdom of the philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, Socrates of his day. He didn't resist him with the latest fad on social media. He didn't resist him with religious traditions or cool sounding religious cliches. He did resist him with the latest self-help language (laughs) or ideas of the culture. Our blessed Lord parried and attacked the enemy's ideas with the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Just a note on the attacks here. The first two, the devil attacks Jesus' identity as the Son of God. You heard me emphasize it when I read it. Twice he says, if you are the son of God, if you are the son of God. Here's the question. Will Jesus believe the word of the father he just heard at his baptism? He was attacking the very word of God to the son of God. You are my beloved son. And the devil says, really? Really? Are you really a, the child of God? He wanted Jesus to doubt his identity as beloved by the Father, to doubt the Father's love. And every day, family, he, he comes at you and wants you to do the same, to doubt the Father's love, to doubt the love of Jesus. God tells you in his word that you are his child. John 1, 12, just for one. But to all who did receive him, that's receive Jesus, who believed in his name, he gave the right. You have the right 
to become children of God. Do you believe on the Lord Jesus as the Son of God and your Savior from sin and death? Do you believe? You are a child of God. And the devil will tell you you're not. Will you lift up the word, the sword, and say, yes, I am. The word says this. It is written. So the devil says to Jesus, prove you are God's son. First temptation, the test of provision. Make bread. Man, you hungry. You look hungry, man. Boy, you look, you, I can imagine he looked hungry, y'all. Humanity, people. He looked hungry. He was, I can imagine, I can only imagine how physically weak he must have been. Dragging his body you know, probably doing a lot of sitting down, maybe laying down. And the devil looks at him and says, if you're the son of God, what you doing living like this? Man, get some, make some good old heart, some Jamaican hard dough bread. Whatever your preference is, some whole wheat, some rye, whatever you love, some pumpernickel. But Jesus is submitting to the Father's will. It was the Father's will that he experienced the suffering of hunger. And he knew the Father would provide for him in his time. The last verse says angels came and ministered. Verse 11, right? Angels came and ministered. You know what they did? They brought him a sandwich. He trusted his father and chose, listen, and chose to live by every word that comes from his mouth. He's quoting Deuteronomy. <laughs> Here comes the sword. Deuteronomy 8.3. That's what he's quoting. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Ching! His heart is being protected by the sword, the word. Jesus did not, listen, listen. Jesus did not allow any physical need or craving to lead him away from obedience to God. It's on the screen. This is important. This is really important because this is where we so often. He, I'm going to say it again. He did not allow any physical need or craving to lead him away from obedience to God. And this is how he get, the devil gets us so often. He tells us we need. And he's not lying half the time. Sometimes he's telling we need love. We need someone to care for us. But the question is, how are we going to get it? Sex, compromise your heart and God's design and your dignity. Sex outside of marriage. Sex of all kinds outside of marriage. Sex. What are we doing? Looking for love. We want love. I want somebody to love me. So maybe that's human. And the devil says, you can have it my way. We want money. How are we going to get it? Overwork. Workaholism. 
keep telling ourselves we're doing it for our family. We're, you know, workaholism is just another way of, another idolatry. Good work too. Pastors overwork. Good work. But, be, but it's idolatrous because it's really about our own glory and not about Jesus. You overwork sometimes, some of you. Should we steal? That's always an easy way to get it. But, no, but you know, we're too respectable to just take it and snatch it. We'll do it. It's tax time. <laughs> Boy, how often do we steal at tax time? Fudging the numbers, exaggerating this, the giving, exaggerating. Yes, I gave $10,000 to my church. You gave two. <laughs> Lying wonder. And we'll find accountants who will fudge for us. And sometimes we just want to just take it. I mean, let's be honest. Sometimes young people steal and don't have to. They steal and don't. Some of them steal that don't have to. Come from families where their their every need is being taken care of, but they steal anyway. Why? Gambling. So y'all think I'm making this stuff up. You think respectable Christian people don't have these problems. <laughs> I've been a pastor too long. Gambling. You know, just a few, I got a few bucks, extra bucks I can throw away here. And then you're gambling and you're putting all your hope in chance and luck. Those are horrible gods. It will eat you alive. Because here's the problem. We begin to judge ourselves by what we have and how much we have. And, we, and, we, and, we, and, 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 and so therefore, I got to have more of that to be like them or, or have status. And so we, we want money. We want, we want honor. In other words, we want glory. How are we going to get it? Put others down. Promote ourselves as better. Demand special treatment. Do you know who my family is? Do you know who I am? Lie about ourselves in our resume. <laughs> That's my favorite. Because resumes, you know, we, 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 we're supposed to tell people how great we are. There's nothing wrong for resume, y'all. I'm not saying there's anything wrong. But when you lie on it, then it becomes a problem. You know you didn't lead that project. You just were on it. <laughs> we want, we want, and we want. But how are we going to get? God's way or our way. Jesus is being confronted with that very thing. And it's something he needed. Because he was going to die without food. I don't know how long you, my doctors in here, I don't know how long you can go without eating. But I gotta believe 40 days is probably getting near that point. I don't know for sure, but I'm thinking, I don't think you can go another 40 days without eating. He 
really needed food. It was not wrong for him to want food. How is he going to get it? Listen to the devil or wait on God? The second temptation is for protection. The devil changes his tactic. He actually quotes from Psalm 91. He tells Jesus, if you jump off the temple publicly, this is what he's telling him, y'all. I'm just Kevin Smith translation. If you jump off the temple publicly, you know God will have his angels catch you. He'll have to protect you because you're his son. He can't let you die. Then he must have said, see, I know the Bible too. Best theologian in the world. Best anti-theologian in the world. He said, then they will know. Then you will know, because if you're the son, it's another if question, then you will know that you really are the son of God. And guess what? Everybody else will know who you are. Take a leap of faith, Jesus. This is why it's so important that we learn how to interpret the Bible thoughtfully in context and letting other scripture inform what you see in any passage. We compare scripture with scripture. The, the devil did quote from Psalm 91, but Je- <laughs> Jesus assumes that scripture does not contradict itself, but informs itself. Write that down, somebody. Tweet that. Not contradict, but informs. So our Lord quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 16, to bring balance to Satan's presumption. If he had done what the devil asked, he would have been pushing the Father to do his will rather than what Jesus said he came to do. We saw us in John already. He came, he said, I came to do my Father's will. He'd be pushing the Father to do his will. He refused to presume upon the Father's grace. Faith is not presumption. But one day, as one commentator put it, Jesus would cast himself into the Father's hands. On the cross, he would just throw himself into the Father's hands and he would cry, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And the Father would catch him. And in catching him at that day, he will catch all of us too who cast our souls into the nail-scarred hands of Jesus. Here's the point. You and I must not willfully put ourselves in compromising situations with the motivation to prove our faith in God or God's love for us. That's putting the Lord to the test. You do not put yourself and willfully in a compromising situation to prove your faith in God or to get God his arm, as it were, to, to, to prove his love for you. There are times, yes, when we're following God, where he will lead us into a dangerous, difficult situation. Keep in mind, that's what's happening with Jesus, that God led him to enter into the wilderness. There are times when you will be led into the wilderness. But you are not to throw yourselves into the wilderness saying, hey, God, prove, (laughs) prove yourself, prove me. 
That's about your glory, not about his. Jesus raises the sword of the spirit once again. And blocks the devil's attack. How do you do that? Do you know the word of God that you can parry such an attack upon you? An attack that says exalt yourself? How, how are you going to offend against that? An attack that says you're better than him, you're better than her? How, how are you going to, how do you defeat that? Will you raise up the word of God too? Remind yourself maybe that you are to count others as more significant than yourselves. Maybe. The third and final temptation was for power. Satan, the God of this world, small g, the ruler of the hearts of the nations was offering Jesus the nations to rule. Isn't that what Jesus is destined to do? As we saw in Revelation, he's destined to rule the nations, but he knew it meant the cross first. Jesus knew it meant the cross. Satan did not know God's plan for Christ. Because he did, he would have never crucified him. He would have never led the people to crucify him. He would have known that's not the route to go. He didn't know what God was planning to do, but he did know who Jesus was. And so he offers him what he knows he wants. He wants to rule the nations. He is the, ancient, the one the Ancient of Days calls to him in Daniel 7 and gives him the rule of the nations. Satan knew that. It's a serious attack here. The crown without the cross? Maybe not falling on the ground before the devil, just one quick bow of the head. Just, just, can you imagine if Jesus had worshipped the devil? No salvation, no hope, no justice. The world would not have the ultimate picture of real love. God's love, the cross, is real love, the great picture of real love. Life, death, and judgment for everyone then. Satan would have gotten what he wanted. He would have gotten the glory. Satan is Lord, not Jesus. That would have been on people's hearts. Aren't you ever tempted to follow God along the path of least resistance? Aren't you ever tempted to easy? I love the, the movie Annie. Well, I didn't, I, the movie, I saw the movie, not the play. The movie Annie, and there's one song called Easy Street. You remember that? And they go, Easy Street, Easy Street. Now, everybody loved that scene where they're going down the middle of the street, they're dancing, Easy Street. Because they think they got some money. And they're going, we got money. E Daddy Warbucks is going to pay us, Easy Street. And they lying and crooked. Get what you want without any real sacrifice. Ooh. That's why people cheat on exams. Get what you want without the sacrifice of studying and saying no to going out with your friends on the weekend and staying in to actually put the work in. Do the work, baby. 
But let's be honest. As a matter of fact, Brother Tolliver, I got to say it. We tend to run from sacrifice or any type of struggle. We do. We, we, we can't even talk to each other if we disagree. We run from even engaging with one another over issues of disagreement because we feel traumatized if we have to do that. What, the, what is that? We opt out so easily. We're, we're, we're kings and queens of opting out. We worship easy and smooth. And yet Jesus warned us in Matthew that broad is the way that leads to destruction. That's the easy street road. That's the easy road. It's, it's broad, it's easy, wide lanes, you, you, know, you know, no traffic. <laughs> Nobody pushing you. It's broad. It is easy, smooth, but narrow is the way to salvation. Narrow. This road is rocky. This road is small. You're going to be up there with some people. You're going to bump into each other. You're going you're gonna to push somebody by accident or, you, or maybe on purpose. Get out. But that, that, that's the narrow road because, you know, that's the road of salvation. That's the road to Jesus. You cannot grow spiritually. You cannot grow to spiritual maturity on easy street. Jesus says it so well in Matthew 16. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That is the word of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, denying ourselves picking up the cross of suffering, denying ourselves something that you, would, that you could have and, you, and maybe you think you deserve, but you deny yourself for a higher purpose. Wow, is that even Christian? It's not American, but it's, is it Christian? Because the road to glory is through the cross. Always. Jesus was even looking past the cross to the joy set before him, according to Hebrews 12. We have to, we have to do the same thing as well. Or we end up worshiping the devil's substitute because it's easier. Phil Riken says it again. Jesus was choosing instead to walk the way of the cross. His goal was not to gain a kingdom for himself, but to save his people. To do this, he, will, he was willing to suffer and die for our sins. As for the kingdom, he would wait to receive it from the Father's hand. He knew the kingdom was coming. But he came to save his subjects, his brothers and sisters. This is mortal combat. And he gives his final thrust with the sword from Deuteronomy 6, 13. He paraphrased it a bit. It says this, it is the Lord your God you shall fear. Him you shall serve. And by his name you shall swear. To fear God is to worship him rightly. He shall be your fear. 
He shall be the one you reverence and stand in awe of. That's what fear means here. He shall be the one that you know you must please and to whom you must give account. You, it's him. He is Holy Father who loves you, but yet you know him to be Holy Father. And so there's this trembling, as it were, in his presence. Even though there's great love, there's also reverence and awe. If you give yourself to what is convenient and easy, that is what you end up worshiping. It is only in fearing the Lord that we find his protection. Psalm 34, 7, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Who does the angel of the Lord deliver? Those who fear the Lord, who worship him in the beauty of holiness, those who behold his majesty and glory in Christ. He delivers them. He protects them. This is how to fight the enemy with God's great weapon, the sword of the Spirit. We can be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power because Jesus defeated the devil God's way. He did it for us and he did it in our place because we will fail. We will get sucker punched. But we do not, but though we fall, we get up. And we get up so that we can stand. With the sword of the Spirit. You got me last time, but I'm ready this time. You ever say that to the devil? You got me last time, but by the grace of God, I'm going to be ready next time. Do you recognize you're in a mortal combat, a real fight, a real battle? Do you, do you understand that the moment you open your eyes in the morning, it's on? And then you get out of bed. <laughs> but the great news of the gospel is that Jesus is victorious for us. And he will be victorious in us. But what are you using to, to parry his attacks? What are you lifting up when the devil comes at you with a haymaker? When he comes at you with this sword of darkness, what are you lifting up to parry him? If it's not the word of the Lord, you're going to lose a limb. You're going to lose something. You're going to get it right here. It behooves us to know the book. To let the book know us. Because this searches us. God's word searches us. It behooves us. There's no other way. There's no in way around this. There's no magic bullet. There's no, you know, you can go to enough small groups. There's no group that can do this for you. You got to know the Bible. We got to get in the book, family. 
And we got all kinds of ways of doing that. Sunday school classes, small groups, uh, your personal study, sermons. We, we got books out in the market. We got, you, they're all, but we got to know the word. Thy word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We, ping, draw the sword against all the isms and schisms. Draw the sword against the stuff that goes on inside of you. Your loneliness, your anxiety, your depressions. Draw the sword. Let God work. Let God reassure you. Draw the sword against, against criticisms that come against the church. Draw the sword. Draw the sword. Draw the sword against your pride and your arrogance. Draw the sword. Draw the sword against the culture's Squeezing in, telling you this is the way, telling you that no, the sexual ethic of the of the of the of the Christians of the Bible is wrong. Draw the swords, family. Draw the sword. Don't don't draw sociology or psychology. Draw the sword first. You, they can help a little bit, but they ain't the real deal. Draw the sword. Draw the sword. You'll be surprised how the God will renew your mind, renew your heart. Help you stand against the enemy, transform your life, guide you in the way you should go, give you confidence and motivation. I need motivation almost every week. I, I say, Lord, can I do something else? And then God says, Zoop. Motiva- I need motivation. What do you need? What do you desire? What is the enemy showing you as a substitute? Draw the sword. Father, in Jesus' name. Oh, Lord, help us. Go with us in this fight. For Jesus' sake. Amen.